So we've been in this series, Why Do We Do That? And the last couple weeks, uh, the first week we talked about why do we do communion? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? And I, I mentioned how we all have different kind of experiences with communion, the Lord's Supper. Maybe you grew up in a church where it was the center of everything you did every week. Uh, maybe you grew up in a church where it was done once a year. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, so you're like, I don't really know why we take this little cup and this juice and this bread. It really doesn't seem to make any sense. Whatever your background is, we wanted to kind of dive into what is communion, why communion, to bring a deeper experience, to bring a deeper meaning to it. Because sometimes we can do things, we don't really know why we do them. And sometimes there are things that are just good for us. We're like, I don't really know why I do that, but it's good for me, right? Like, but it's good in this setting to know why we do the things that we do. And so last week we talked about why baptism. And we actually did two baptisms. That was exciting celebrating with you and uh, Will. And, um, and so it was exciting just to have that opportunity to celebrate, talking about the new life that happens through baptism. And um, we're excited to see more baptisms. And by the way, on that Connect card too, if you're interested in getting baptized, you can fill out a Connect card. Just click on, uh, or I think there's a click. You really can't click on the card. I guess you could with a pen and just kind of click. But um, Mark, I think there's a, I'm interested in baptism on there. Um, if you're interested in getting baptized. But this week we're going to talk about why preaching? Why do we have sermon? Why do we have messages? What's kind of the meaning behind that? Which again is like a softball pitch, right? Like it could be like a roast right now. Like why preaching? Like I don't know. It's a good idea. And I've thought about throwing out the question and seeing what you guys say, like why preaching? Um, but instead of opening that up to just ridicule, um, I will instead drop a joke. Because right, if you think you're going to get made fun of, you, you make the joke first so that no one else can do it. So um, I heard this story, and I'm sure it's made up, but it might be real as well too. But a preacher, every week when he would preach, um, this man would fall asleep in his sermons every single week, week after week after week, and he would sit next to his wife. And finally one week the preacher goes to the wife, would you wake your husband up? And she says back, well, you're the one who put him to sleep, you wake him up. And so, uh, so why preaching? It's a good question, right? And we kind of have this love-hate relationship with preaching. Sometimes preaching can be the reason uh, why someone goes to a civic church, right? When we had church at home a lot, um, you know, every, we were kind of watching everything online, we kind of had an opportunity to really listen to any preacher we wanted to. Podcasts are super popular of preaching. Oftentimes, at least up to most of the time, podcasts are just the sermon, and they get tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of downloads. Some of the people that you know in the Christian circles, are, you're known, they're known because they're good communicators, good preachers. And so there's this love-hate because that can be the great thing, and that's, sometimes people skip the music just to hear the sermon because they think that's what church is really all about, which it's not, but they think it is. But then there's also this kind of like other side, right, where we think about like preachers maybe growing up or sometimes here, you're like, man, this is really long. <laughs> like, or this is not, I don't really understand what they're saying, and they're kind of confusing, or that's not really, you know, sometimes the opportunity after service is to kind of analyze and critique the sermon. I've done it, so that's not like saying, how dare you guys? I've done that growing up in church. I still do it to myself, to other people. But it can be this love-hate relationship with preaching. And so it's important to ask the question, why preaching? What is it supposed to be about? And really, though, here's the thing, is that today I'm not just going to talk about why preaching, because you're like, at the end of the day, that's good information, but most of you will maybe never preach a sermon. But really, the things I'm going to share today, that the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, um, the letter he writes, it's really applicable, not just to someone who might stand up in this stage and communicate, but the things we're going to talk about today is really true 
If you teach a class, if you teach a small group, a community group, if you lead with kids, if you share your faith in any way in your, in your workplace as a student, if you lead a devotional at a, at a campus organization, all those things can be applicable. Because when we talk about why do we get up, why do we communicate about Jesus? Why do we share the truth of God's word? Why do we spend time doing that? We're going to see in Paul's letter today why some of those things are important. And so today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5, and it'll be on the screen. But let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll dive in. Well, Holy Spirit of God, you, the one who's breathed life into Scripture, into your Word, you're the one who has breathed life into us. You're the one who brewed over creation and, and brought it into being. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come that you speak to our hearts, that we'd hear your voice, we would sense your presence with us, that again, you would breathe life into the things that we do. God, I ask that you would be made great today. Jesus, that you would be made famous today by the Holy Spirit. Just ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, I'm going to read from the NIV. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power." And as we look at this passage, I, think, I want to look at three different things that I think we can learn about preaching, but also just as we communicate the truth about God to others in all different settings. So I want to look at the posture of preaching, the person of preaching, and the power of preaching. So first, the posture of preaching. So what is Paul's posture when he talks about preaching? Well, he says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. I came to you with weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. My summary of that would be, Paul's posture of preaching is, I want to get out of the way, so it's not about me, but about Jesus. His posture of preaching is humility. He says, I want to get out of the way. That's why he begins with saying what he isn't going to do when he speaks. Here's what I'm not going to do. Here's what I'm not trying to do. Here's what I'm not aiming for. And he says, I'm not trying to bring eloquence or human wisdom or wise and persuasive words. And at first, that probably doesn't seem to make sense, right? You're like, why would you communicate something if you didn't want to persuade someone of something, right? And maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe it's in my personality. I'm like, I don't communicate anything. I'm not trying to convince you to believe what I'm saying. So you can ask Aaron. That is the truth. Um, And I think I'm probably more persuasive than I am. But because we want to bring wisdom. We want to bring truth. We want to bring God's truth to situations. We want to say what's correct and true. So what is Paul trying to communicate if that's not what he's trying to avoid? Well, in Greek culture, which is the Corinthian culture of that day, public speaking, oratory was very popular. It's public, and there would be lots of forums where people would speak, politicians, philosophers, teachers. People were trying to get a big following. People were trying to amass power. And they would give speeches, and they would give talks, and all in according to get a following. 
And even here in the Corinthian church, if we look at chapter 1, what's actually happened uh, in, in 1 Corinthians in the first chapter is that there's actually division happening in the church. There's division happening in the church, and some of it is because some people come in to speak, good people, are better communicators than others. Some of them seem to have more power in their communication. Maybe some ways it seems like God is doing maybe more miracles through them. And so some people are like, well, this is my guy, and this is my person, and this is the person I follow. And so Paul's writing a letter trying to communicate that they've totally missed it, (laughs) that they totally missed it. And what happens in Greek culture, in the Corinthian culture, is that um, when there would be public speaking, oftentimes it would be whatever way they could convince someone to believe what they're saying. Whether it's manipulative, whether it's trying to draw on people's emotions, what Paul is rejecting is saying, I don't want to be a fear mongerer. I don't want to play on people's pride, people's prejudice, people's fear. I don't want to think like, you know what people are afraid of is this thing. So I'm going to keep ramming that home until they like, until I capture them in their fear and then say, well, if you're afraid of that, then you need to follow me. If you're afraid of this, then you need to do what I say. Paul's saying, I don't want to manipulate people. I don't want to coerce people. I don't want people to hear what I say and believe me just because I delivered that punchline perfectly, or I delivered that perfect joke, or I just have the skill of oratory. He says, I want people to actually see Jesus. See, for Paul, his goal isn't just to amass a following. His goal isn't just to get more views. His goal isn't to get invited to the next TED Talk conference. His goal is to point people to Jesus. And so that's why he says in verse 1 that he came to proclaim the testimony of God. He came to proclaim the testimony about God, the story of God. He came to share, this is what God has done. This is who God is. This is the way he's working. His goal and objective is to share about God, not as a means to an end, right? Because we can all grab a message that maybe we don't believe or we don't live out, but we know it's popular. We can just communicate it and get followers. We may not live it. We may not believe it. We may not embody it, but we know it works, and so we say it, and we do it. Paul's saying, I came to give the testimony about God. I came to point you towards Jesus. And again, it's not that being educated, it's not that using wise words, it's not thinking about how would this communicate well that might be clear to people, that bring clarity. What's a way that's winsome? What's a way that's engaging? What's a way that connects with people in their culture? But what Paul is saying is, I don't want to win them to me. His posture was such that he wanted to get out of the way and point people towards Jesus. And so I think this should actually be freeing to us. For those of us who follow Jesus, who would say, you know, and and you may feel like you're newer in your faith, or you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you're saying, like, I don't feel like I have the right words to say. I don't feel like I know what to say. I I feel like if someone asked me a question, I'd be stumped. I feel like I'm not smart enough. This person has more answers. So if they have a question, I'll just point them to them. I'm just going to, if anybody has a big question, ask Dave. You know, it's like we get this insecurity about us. But what Paul is saying is that's not the key, actually. The key is not actually having all the right things to say. The key is not actually being able to convince someone because you have all the right one-liners and all the right insight. What he's saying is he wants to get out of the way and point people to Jesus. 
And so when he preaches, he wants to point people towards him. And there's this quote that I, I tried to find out who actually originally said it. Some people said A.W. Tozer, some other people. But there's this quote, what you win them with, you win them to. What you win them with, you win them to. And when we're sharing about Jesus, we're sharing about our faith or anything in life, if they're convinced because you're such a commanding presenter, then you've won them over to yourself, not what you actually shared. Because if someone comes along and shares it in a better way, something different, well, then they'll just be won over to that. But if you've actually presented Jesus, if you've actually shared the testimony about God, and they've won over to who he is, what God has done for them, the grace and kindness of Jesus, then when someone comes along and maybe has a better argument, is a better public speaker, they're not won over. They're not convinced because that person had the right punchline, but because they've actually met Jesus. So what you win them with, you win them to. In other words, if, if someone comes to this church, for me as, the, as a pastor, if someone comes here and they do the things, I'm like, hey, sign up for kids. I'm like, well, Matt said I should do it, so I will. And then I say, hey, you should give to the church. And say, okay, Matt says it, so I should give. Or, you know, and there's really only doing whatever I say because they like me or because they think I communicate well, then we're missing, we're missing the mark. And we had a whole series on leadership, and leadership is important, for sure, and walking in the authority God's given you and in the roles. So if you're a teacher or a manager or a leader, we use those positions for great purposes. But if that's the only reason why someone continues to do something, then real heart change doesn't begin to happen. And we don't want that in this church or in your own lives as you share about your faith, as you share about what God's done in your life. And again, that should be freeing because it means it doesn't all rest upon us. So Paul's posture is get out of the way, humility, dependency upon God. So why? Because the message that Paul wants to communicate, the message that we see in the Bible, the message of Jesus, the gospel, it's not about him, it's about the person of Jesus, so the person of preaching. The person that Paul wants to point people to is Jesus. In verse 2, he says this, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's the testimony about God, the testimony of God that Paul was talking about. And sometimes this is, it's interesting, sometimes this has been used, I, I've heard it used, maybe you have, if you've been around church or religious folks much, but they say, well, see right here it says, I resolved to know nothing other than Jesus and him crucified. So the only book I need is the Bible. I don't need to read anything else. These sermons that have illustrations and modern events and you read other books, they're not important. All I need to know is Jesus. That's clearly not what Paul is saying. Why? Because Paul quotes philosophers in some of his speeches. Paul's a really learned guy, and he quotes other people, and he, and he draws on current events that are happening, and we see that throughout the Bible. What he's saying is, no matter what else I say, no matter what else I share, no matter what else, uh, even the topic, we did a series on family mess last year. Even in that series, if we only talk about, hey, your family's messed up, here's how to fix it. That's great. There's probably someone who could deliver those talks better, like a therapist or a counselor, if we're not bringing it back to who Jesus is, if we're not bringing it back to what, is, what does it matter that God loves me? What is, how does it affect the way that I parent or the way that I interact with my parents based on the way that Jesus has loved me? What is the gospel, this, this truth that I'm more loved than I could imagine but also more in need and more 
broken than I wanted to admit. What is that? What is, how does that affect my relationships? And Paul is saying, I, I, didn't want, I want everything to be about Jesus. And here's the interesting thing as well, too, is that when Paul was preaching, when he looked to the Bible, the Bible of that day would have been the Old Testament. We didn't have any other things written. There might have been uh, parts of the Gospels or the stories of Jesus written down that were being passed around. But when he was preaching, he's preaching out of the, the Old Testament, where Jesus is never listed. And yet he can say that, I came to resolve to know nothing other than Jesus and am crucified. What does he mean? He means that when Paul looks at the Old Testament, when he's preaching, he sees Jesus throughout the whole Bible. Throughout the whole Bible. He sees when there's a, when there's a king talked about, and there's lots of bad kings in the Bible, there's some decent kings, an occasional pretty good king. It's always pointing to the true king, Jesus. When there's prophets or people that hear from God and are supposed to speak about what righteousness and justice are, how to care for the poor, how to work systems of justice, that one day, Jesus, they all point to Jesus, the ultimate prophet, who will come and bring true justice and true righteousness and speak the ultimate words of God. When there's priests in the Old Testament, those are wonderful and good things. But they all point to Jesus, who's the ultimate priest, who takes us before God himself. So Paul's saying, I resolved to know nothing other than Jesus and him crucified throughout all the story of God. And what's interesting as well, too, is that when I, first time I've read this, I've heard this so many times, these passages, but Christ and him crucified is kind of like a, yeah, I don't know if it's a throwaway line, but it's just kind of, we just say it real quick together. But for me, as I, and I looked at some commentators as well too, people who write about what does the Bible maybe mean, Christ and him crucified. So it's about the person of Jesus, the person of Jesus, but also what he did. So it's not just, I'm going to preach about Jesus, the model, of, like the example that we follow. It doesn't stop there. Like, I preach about Jesus. He tells us how to be the, like, love people in our families. He teaches us how to be kind to the poor and care for the poor. He teaches us how to love our environment. He teaches us how to work hard in our workplaces. Jesus, the ultimate human, right? Those things are true, but Jesus in him crucified. It's not just the model man. It's not just the ultimate person. It's not just our example on how to live better. But him crucified means that Paul came, and as he communicated, and even as we communicate, guys, as we share our faith, or again, if we're teaching in a kid's classroom, we're leading a community group, we're sharing our faith with somebody, it's awesome to talk about how great your church is. If this is your home church or another place is, it's awesome to say, man, they have a great kid's ministry, or the band does awesome, you should come. Those are good things to say. But if that's all we say... If that's all we share, if all we're winning people to is, hey, this would be a good experience, or, he, or God helped me do this thing better, those are wonderful. But ultimately, we want to point people to not just the God who's a model, not just the Jesus who shows us how to live, but the Jesus who gave his life so that we could have life. We talked about in baptism last week, that in baptism, it's this picture of being united with Jesus through his death and resurrection. So as we're thinking about how do I share with other people, how do I teach, we keep coming back to Jesus and his death and resurrection for us. It's not just one or the other. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so we have the posture of preaching or the posture of communicating. When we communicate the truths about God, when we communicate about scripture, we want to do it in a way where we get out of the way. And we don't point people to ourselves. 
We point people to Him. And then there's the person of preaching, the person of communicating. That again, we want to point people to Jesus, not to, to what He's done, not just to ourselves. But then there's the power of preaching. There's the power of preaching. In this passage, it lists power a few times in verses 4 and 5. He says this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul's pretty clear here. He wants it to be God who works in people's lives. He wants it to be God who moves in someone's heart. He wants it to be God who captures by the Holy Spirit. So when, you're, when someone's listening to him, that there's something that kind of wakes up. You know, like when you're reading scripture on your own and something just kind of jumps off the page, and you're like, whoa, I never noticed that before. Or that's really seems applicable. Or you hear someone speaking, whether it's a, again, it's a podcast or it's here on a Sunday, and the something goes like, wow, that speaks right to me. It's the Holy Spirit waking something up, moving. It's his power. And Paul is saying that's what he wants to see happen. He wants it to be the Holy Spirit, not just his words, right? Because as someone who like every week spends so much time writing words and then giving words, I know for me, I've been, I've been a lead pastor for a year and a half, and it didn't take long for me to go, if people leave thinking, that was interesting, that was good, or like think well of me, but don't think well of Jesus, then I missed it then I missed it. And here Paul's saying, I want to see a demonstration of power, of the Holy Spirit's power. And here's what Paul is emphasizing here. Sometimes, depending on your church background, again, I say that a lot because we all come from kind of different experiences. Um, but for some of us, when we hear God's power, maybe we came from a more charismatic Pentecostal background, and so we think, oh yeah, yeah, this is the part where it's not about the words that are said, but about God healing people, about God doing miraculous things, about um, God speaking through people and speaking to people, about people being set free um, from all these different things. And Paul believes in that. Twelve chapter, well, ten chapters later, uh, in chapter twelve. In chapter 13 and 14, he'll talk about spiritual gifts in these incredible ways that God still moves in our world today to heal bodies, to set people free from addictions, to heal people emotionally, to set them free from evil spirits. This, like, I'm all in on all that still happening. But what Paul is saying is here is he's like, I don't want you to experience this internal change. And when I came to you speaking, I didn't come to persuade you to follow me, but when I came, your life was actually changed. When I came, there was something that changed inside of you. You began to follow Jesus. You began to go a different direction. You began to leave your sin and those things that stole life from you. You left those things aside. And Paul's saying, I want to see a demonstration of power. When I came, there was actual power that happened. And it wasn't because of the way that I said it, the way that I crafted it, but it was because the Holy Spirit was present and changed you. And I think, again, what this shows us, the power of preaching, the power of communicating, is that, again, it puts us in a posture of dependence, of dependence. If there's any word that communicates what a relationship with God is like, it's dependence, or the way he wants it to be. That's a word that sometimes we can think about in a negative way, like, I don't want to be dependent upon anybody, or we hear codependence, or you know, we think of, like, that just means you're weak. But in our relationship to God... He's made it so that we are dependent upon him. It's the way that things best work because he has all knowledge and we're limited. He has all strength and we're 
limited. He is the one who continually loves, even though we don't. He is the one who continually pursues, even though we want to give up on people. We want to give up on ourselves. Dependency is what defines our relationship with God. And Paul is saying, in the way that I communicate, in the way that I preach, in the way that you share your faith, in the way you teach your class, in the way that you, com- you know, communicate one-on-one with a friend, it's okay, it's better, it's right that you lean on dependence upon the Holy Spirit to change someone's heart. It's that you depend upon that. And friends, this morning as I was thinking about communicating and sharing with you guys, I was thinking about how for most of us, when we think about sharing our faith, right, maybe with someone who's not a follower of Jesus, or maybe someone was like, hey, could you lead community group this week, or could you teach in a kid's classroom, or could you give up, get, get up and give a devotional talk or something like that? And we, a lot of us maybe get nervous. We get intimidated. We feel like, I don't know enough. I can't do that. I don't have enough knowledge, enough wisdom. I haven't been following Jesus enough, whatever it might be, and we're, we're scared. We're intimidated. And that's not God's heart at all for us. If anything from this passage that Paul's communicating, it doesn't mean we don't learn. It doesn't mean we don't grow. It doesn't mean that I'm going to invite someone up here to preach who's like read the Bible maybe one time, doesn't really know, you know, like, hey, just share whatever you think, right? Like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, though, it doesn't all rest on you. It doesn't all rest on you. The weight, the burden of seeing someone's life changed isn't on you. It's not on you. It's not dependent upon you about how good you are, how faithful you are. It's not on you. And that should free us to share with joy. That doesn't take away the, man, what if they, what if they don't talk to me anymore after that? Or what if, you know, what if someone doesn't ask me to lead that group anymore? Or whatever. That doesn't take away some of those questions. What it does, though, is it reminds us that it's not up to us. We're not responsible for what happens in someone's heart. But... Um, there's this great quote by one of my favorite uh, Bible commentators. His name's Alec Motyer. Um, and he says this. He says, we have two responsibilities, though, when we communicate, when we share our faith, when we teach, when we preach. It's this. First, to the truth. And I love, if you see it on uh, the screen, how much he talks about how, what our first commitment is. First, to the truth, right? But secondly, to this particular group of people we're communicating to or person, how will they best hear the truth? How are we to shape and phrase it so that it comes home to them in a way that's palatable, that gains the most receptive hearing and avoids needless hurt? So we begin with what is true. So anything else that he says in his quote after that, that's, not, that's a given. We, we commit to what is true. But after that, it doesn't stop there and go, man, how many of us have just said, I'm just telling the truth, right? We drop a bomb on somebody if we're married to our spouse or our, you know, our sibling or a coworker or a roommate. I'm just, I'm just telling the truth. In other words, sorry that it hurt your feelings. Sorry that it's offensive, but I'm just telling you how it is, right? And that's, that's not okay, right? I think we could all cognitively in this moment say that's not okay. In the heat of the moment, we like all do it. But right now, we'd all agree like that's not, that's not what we do. And when we communicate faith, or I would even argue, for some of you who are passionate about other areas as well too, when we communicate, it's not enough to just drop the truth and hope that people receive it well. It's actually a call, a command, an invitation. If you read Paul, he always crafted his message to how will these people best receive it? Not watering it down, 
But how will they actually receive it? And I love that end, endless part, the end part there of this quote. Avoids needless hurt. Avoids needless hurt. What can I do to take the sting out of this? What can I do that's not important? What's the tone I don't have to take? What's the thing I don't have to say that still communicates the truth? That's on us. What's not in there is that it's on us to change someone. It's not on us to get them to come to church. It's not on us for them to pray a prayer. It's not on us for them to choose to follow Jesus. But it's on us to do those two things, to the truth, and then to think about how the best way to communicate to these people are. And so whether you're preaching, whether you're teaching, whether you're leading a community group or leading kids or sharing your faith with a coworker or a fellow student, those are the two things that you're responsible for. What's true, and that's Jesus. And then what's the best way that they'll receive it? Because we have to do more than just inform someone's mind. We have to do more than just give someone facts, right? If anything in our culture right now we understand is that posts, you know, right, social media posts, like how many of the posts have we read that where someone just goes, just leaving it here? As if that convinced anybody who disagrees with what you just left there, right? It's like, just leaving it here. Here's all the truths that I believe about whatever, right? Masks, vaccines, your political party, whatever it is. Just leaving it here. As if like, if you read these five bullet points, you will be thoroughly convinced to believe what I want you to believe. Ineffective, doesn't work, and it's really not loving either. Paul, what we see in Modeled by Paul And what we see in this great quote, and I think what we see in our lives, is the invitation is, yes, communicate truth, but ask, how can I best show this person love as I communicate it? What way can I share it in a way that it'll be received? And if you don't know, then don't share it yet. If your posture is about being right or proving yourself is vindicated, which I, 95% of the time, probably in my communication with people that I love am in that place, then you need to probably stop and pause. But it's also true about sharing your faith. It's also true about sharing Jesus with your coworker. If you're like, this person, they just need to know Jesus. They just need to become a Christian. You know, this kind of like anger, like anger conversion. Like, that's just having a posture of loving that person, wanting to serve them. And when you come with a posture of loving them and wanting to serve them, that shapes how we communicate, how we share. And when we preach, when we have sermons on Sunday, we get, you know, this whole series, why do we do that? But our hope is as we communicate, as I've preached and Tom and Alex and other people will preach and share here, our hope is that we'll do that, that we'll get out of the way, that we'll point people to Jesus, we'll depend upon the Holy Spirit and ask, what's the best way to communicate what God is saying? What's the best way to communicate God's truth? And today, here's what, here's what I want to invite us to. And Britain and band and whoever is coming up, I'll invite you up here. But here's, we have, we have plenty of time. Would you guys stand, actually? Stand up, because uh, we're going to sing and pray. But I, I, think, I think probably for a lot of us, if we would consider ourselves a follower of Jesus, we would say... Yeah, there's probably someone in my life that I, I get pretty nervous about talking about my faith with, faith with. I get pretty nervous thinking about sharing with them. Or maybe you actually have a role like where that's maybe you leave in a volunteer organization, maybe you serve here at the church, serve in another way, and you just constantly feel that intimidation, that pressure. Maybe it's kept you from sharing. Maybe it's kept you from stepping into a, a role of serving or teaching even. 
where you're like, I feel like God's maybe leading me to that, but I'm no way qualified to do that. I feel like we all have those spaces where we're nervous, we're intimidated. When we think about sharing the truth of God in our own life and from Scripture. So as we, as Britain and the band plays, I'd love to invite you. If that's you, would you come forward and get prayer? I'm going to invite our prayer team and those who have been trained to pray to come up and pray um, with folks. But if you would like to get prayer, if there's someone like, I'd just love for someone to partner with me in prayer as I think about sharing my faith, as I think about stepping out to teach, as I think about leading this group, as I think about serving in this way, I would just love to receive some prayer, just an encouragement. So I'd invite you to come up. I'd invite our prayer team to come up now and just so you can be ready to pray with people. And, um, and then if, for those of you who have um, not begun to follow Jesus, and say, you know, this relationship, talking about Jesus being the center, talking about God's love for you. And you're like, That's, I haven't received that. I'd love to invite you to pray this with me, to begin following Jesus. So there's a prayer on the screen I've been using the last couple of weeks because I think it's really helpful. But if you have never started to follow Jesus, I'd love for you to pray this prayer with me. So we'll, we'll pray it together. And then if you... After, if you prayed that prayer, would you just mark it on your card so we can follow up with you um, just to reach out to you? And so let's pray this prayer together and then we'll worship. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. I thank you for paying my debt bearing my punishment and offering forgiveness. I turn from my sin and receive you as Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. And prayer team, if you guys would come up, we'd love to have you pray with some folks.